Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jeremy Marriott. Now, this week on the show, we have got a good friend of mine, someone who I've spent many hours training with. That's uh, Sifu James Liu. Now, James Liu is a Kung Fu master. He's been teaching the Choi Lei Fat style of Kung Fu for many years. Uh, he's also a research scientist. And we, today we're going to see how those two work together, if there is conflicts or if they complement each other well. Um, so, yeah, stick around and get ready for the show. Hey, James, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Jeremy. <laughs> so, um, what, have, uh, what have you been up to lately, James? And just give us our listeners a quick rundown on, on what you do. Um, work-wise and, and other? Well, I'm normally a research scientist with a private company at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we haven't, we haven't really stopped work. Uh, we, we're still working. We've, we've been working through the last few months uh, where most people have stopped work or work from home. Uh, I still have to go into the lab and, and do a lot of things. Um, the, what the company does is mainly protein, protein kind of uh, analysis. So we specialize in analytical side of protein. Uh, But there's also a research component to what we do as well. And uh, um, we, I mean, some of the major disease, we look for biomarkers for major disease. Mm. Uh, And the company, uh, what what they found, what what they've got in the pipeline is actually a kit that comes out and detects uh, kidney failure uh, at an early stage. Oh, so, so is that like uh, just a, a take home, do it yourself? Well, no, at the moment it's mainly for hospitals and, and clinicians. Okay. Uh, but it hasn't got to the stage where it's home yet. Yeah, but <laughs> that'll, that'll, that'll drastically improve people's chances. Because uh, especially people that, that's, you know, looking as if they're getting diabetes or they, they have high risk, they do this test and basically you'll find out Mm-hmm. You know, how likely you're going to get kidney failure and when. You know, yeah, so stop drinking. Early. <laughs> that's, a, that's a solution. That's one of the solutions. Um, but, I mean, the company also is looking into biomarkers for other diseases such as Alzheimer's and uh, another one is uh, the lung cancer. Mm-hmm. The, uh, and then uh, there's another one which is, uh, well, the lung cancer is endophilia. Osis, I think it's called, mm-hmm. uh, and and mesophiliosis is another one, which is uh, more the the ladies' disease. Yeah. So, and you're working specifically on those yourself, or I am. I am. I've got my hands in all of it because I I'm, I'm basically the one that actually does the analysis of using the machines. Mm-hmm. And I, I look over the. I oversee the data analysis and uh, I oversee people doing the actual work. Uh, I'm part of the planning team for most of these in terms of uh, how to get the project going, how to analyze them. Uh, I'm probably not the initial instigator. <laughs> now, now did, anyway, you see yourself, yeah. did you see yourself when you were young as I'm going to be a research scientist? Uh, I, I saw myself as a scientist when I was young, but I didn't think I was going to go into biomedical research. Yeah, I was more. Uh, I was a uh, basically. I'm interested in all sorts of science uh, at an early age. Um, 
and then uh, it just it just expanded from there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and you studied so, here in Australia, yeah. Yeah, I started. I, I studied. No, I practically grew up in Australia. Yeah, because you've been. I, I came to Australia when I was seven, I think. Seven or eight. Yeah. And uh, do you find that 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 you're happy in that? That you're going to be able to save a lot of people's lives in in the research that you're doing? Oh, I'm happy with the job and and what I do. Um, I'm not going to say save people's life directly, but definitely helping towards and, and getting involved in the path of getting to there. Because mm. mm. if they can detect it a lot earlier, they're going to be able to get treatment a lot earlier, take a lot of stuff in to yes, try and stop definitely. it. Yeah. That's the yeah. whole idea of these uh, early detection. Yeah, so it is going to it is going to improve the survival rate. So in, in turn, you, you're helping people live longer. Yes. That's the idea. <laughs> Big picture, yeah. No, but that's that's really good. That's a good thing, you know. Same as me. Like I say, I only fix people's cars. But if I'm putting tyres or, or brakes on people's cars, you know, it could possibly save oh, yes. life. Or they look could at people family. Family. Yeah, you've got to look at the big picture, you know. <laughs> like um, we talk about the garbage man and, and people are like, oh, it's just a garbage man. I'm like, yeah, but if you didn't have him, you'd have rubbish everywhere, you know. People start getting yeah. sick. So, and... Um, and what do you do? That's the one side of me. Yeah. That's the one you, side of me. What do you do when you're not uh, in the lab? <laughs> but the other side of me and, uh, and another big part of me is uh, basically the Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've been involved with uh, Chinese Kung Fu for a long time. Um, 30 plus years now. Wow. Uh, I do a style of Chinese Kung Fu called um, Cholifa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Basically, I, I have my own school now and I teach. Uh, but I, I've been teaching actually for almost 25 plus years. Wow. Uh, but probably not in Perth. No, you, you started learning that where? Over, over east somewhere? Over in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. you're obviously fairly young. Uh, I started when I was about 16. Oh, okay. Hard training. So not very young, but young, young enough. <laughs> and and you were you trained pretty hard over there, long days. Uh, probably the first five years of training, I, I used to do four hours each day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the normal training, uh, not the normal training. Uh, normal training, there will probably be a, every two nights there'll be a one and a half hour training that's formal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would I would make that up to four with my own training mm-hmm. uh, and then weekends I usually do more because there's other kind of activities like line dancing and all that that's involved with the martial art yeah and the importance of line dancing because I know I know you can explain what it is because a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't know what it is uh, I, I know when I first started training that I didn't know the difference between the line and the dragon because you know the, the one with the sticks so I'm sure our, our people listening there have got no idea if you could explain it, that'd be great. Well, line dancing, a lot of people see it as a big, big part of the Chinese culture. Mm. Uh, but I see it as something that's kind of involved in Chinese martial arts in general. Uh, there's a long story to, to why is that so, but there's definitely a lot of culture in it. I mean, because you see, we, we use this line dancing uh, as a way to celebrate uh, events. Um, 
the main one you probably see a lot is Chinese New Year. Mm, mm. Uh, and then the other one is probably the Moon Festival in September sometime, usually. Uh, I mean, Chinese New Year is usually beginning of the year, about February-ish. Uh, and and, and uh, on the geyser inside that a lot of people think is a dragon, but it's actually a lion. Yeah, there's, there's a difference. So there is a dragon, uh, but the dragon usually takes about 10 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Nine, nine person will be in the dragon, that's a minimum. And then the one person that's holding a, a dragon ball, which leads the dragon. Yeah. A lion is different. Lion is usually two person inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But the team is actually a little bit more bigger than that. I mean, the team, it's, it's teamwork to, to do a lion dance. Uh, you have drummers uh, that makes part of the music. And the other part of the music is people that play cymbal mm-hmm. and gongs. Uh, similarly, Dragon Dance also has that. I mean, you've got that 10 person that's involved with the Dragon and the dragon Ball, but you also got a couple of people doing music, uh, which yeah. also involve drums and cymbals and gongs. Yeah, and there's different uh, dragons for different, no, different, sorry, different lines for different things. Uh, lines, yeah, uh, lines at the moment, there's many types. Uh, you can almost say there's, there, there is just an infinite amount of <laughs> people. It comes in, nowadays it comes in different colors and, and different shapes and form. Mm. Uh, but traditionally there's, there's two main type, uh, one called Northern and one called Southern. Uh, Northern line tends to be the one that looks more like a puppy dog. Oh, okay. Yeah. They're, they're usually yellow and orange in color, a uh, bit more of an ugly head. Uh, and, and the way they do the line dance is quite different. That must be a northern line. Not, no. That's a northern line, yeah. <laughs> uh, southern line, um, there's, there, that itself has two different types. Well, there's many types, but that itself has two different branches. One is called the Fasan, and one is called the Hosan. And uh, how do you tell the difference? Fasan, the head is a bit more rounded. Yeah. Uh, whereas Hosan, the, the, the mouth of the line looks a little bit like a beak. Uh, it's a bit sharper. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've seen that one. So yeah. when you started training in Sydney, what was that, like 80s? I started training in 86. So were, you, were you seeing a lot more martial arts coming out then? Was uh, there was a lot already back then. Uh, probably not a lot of Chinese ones to choose from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but, but there was a lot, a lot of martial arts. There was karate, taekwondo. In Sydney, there was a thing called tang sudo. Uh, so Kali was available at that time. And what drew you to this style more than more than the others? Well, it's pretty much by accident initially. Um, I mean, like, like most teenagers at that time, we, we get influenced by movies and, and well, in particular TV series, mm-hmm. uh, because we, we come from being coming from Hong Kong. You, you see a lot of uh, Hong Kong made TV serial and that, that all involves some kind of martial art, mm-hmm. especially the ones that, that portray ancient stories. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, a lot, we, we get drawn into that. Um, back then, I think what was popular, Jackie Chan was quite popular. Oh, yes. Uh, at that time. and uh, Snake in the Eagle Shadow and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and not to mention Bruce Lee was also still quite popular at that time, even though he was already passed away at that time. 
so what we, as teenagers, you get drawn to that, uh, number one, but also going through school because other people, uh, other kids watch these or seen these martial art movies, they mm-hmm. tend to assume, <laughs> assume that you, you would do it as an Asian. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you tend to get picked on as well <laughs> and get bullied a bit. Did you find that uh, much so, bullying coming over here in the 80s? Uh, there was a bit. Um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't extreme. Uh, I, I see it as friendly bullying back at that time. Yeah. Uh, but some people might, might get extreme, more extreme. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not sure whether it's a personality thing or, or it, it could be a personality thing. I think yeah. for me, I, I, I was lucky. I mean, uh, a lot of bullying wasn't too extreme. Were you already uh, a I went to Catholic school as well, so the teachers are quite quite good at that right. and at stopping those kind of things. Were you were you already uh, getting into a few scraps before you went and started training, or or you really went straight down the line until you went to the there school? Was, there was a bit of scuffles here and there, but nothing nothing serious. Mm. As we all uh, do, you know, when we're kids. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but, you know, I, I went searching and when I was, that was about end of, end of year 10, I was 16 and, you know, there was a group of us that went searching around for martial art because that was quite popular and we, we went and tried different things like karate, you know, Budokan, Sudokan, mm-hmm. uh, at, at that time, Taekwondo. Um, there's quite a few things available around the community. Uh, but Chinese martial art, we heard of it, but we could never find it. Mm. And it was pretty much by accident. <laughs> One day we kind of went past Chinatown and heard people screaming. And uh, basically me and my friend went upstairs and had a look. There was no signage, nothing. Went upstairs to have a look at what the screaming was. And there, there was uh, this trolley flat place, mm. which I've stuck, stuck to since. So, uh, so the guys you joined with, is anyone else still still training or still involved no funny enough no the guy that actually took me around and then we, we went up together mm. uh he he basically didn't stay for long and i i ended up staying the longest mm. <laughs> yeah maria and i found that out too the 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 classes that we joined in that we joined with <clears throat> yeah in there's there's no one left still training in the classes that that we were in it's it's a it's a very small Small population, but you also got taught very traditionally, didn't you? You were your your master trained you on a lot of things that no one else got trained in anymore. Uh, I I didn't know at the time, but I I mean, looking back now, a lot of the ways we we trained was quite traditional. Um, mm. We weren't we weren't told what we we're doing. We we're just told to do it, and, and we just did it. <laughs> and if we did it wrong, then uh, comes the sticks, boom, hit you, hit you hit you. <laughs> Very, very um, traditional. And uh, I think it's only when, when I grew up and I actually left in, uh, the school because I, I moved that I think back that, that that was quite traditional. And also that it's only that I, I left and gone back and, and visit my city that we, we start talking and chatting. Mm-hmm. Um, every time I go back, we, we basically have coffee and that's our training session. And, and he will explain things, which I did years ago, mm-hmm. uh, in, in more detail, mm-hmm. uh, more, more theory comes out at that time. Uh, basically when we were training, we were never, 
we were, we were never told either that we, we never noticed it and he was yeah. probably having it the background and, and those kind of things that only comes out now when i start teaching other people uh, and i see it in other people mm. Mm. so that in in the sense i think you know if that's what you think traditional is i think that is <laughs> probably more traditional yeah. yeah um it's probably not like what what tv shows uh show um like the jackie chan one where you have to uh you know take take water from the well to the yeah the, to the house or things like that yeah and sit in the the horse stand squat the environment is quite different <laughs> I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with the uh, the the Win Chun style that um, Bruce Lee made famous, and then um, obviously Donnie Yen in the new Yip Man movies. How does your style differ from that? Uh, you know, you've asked me that 30 years ago. I would say, well, we're, we're you know we're long range and we're very mobile, and you know, Wing Chun is probably shorter range and, and close up. Uh, you know, now that I I have been teaching for so long and do didn't have done a lot of research on myself. I think sim, they're, they're all quite similar. There is basically no difference, um, especially at an advanced level. Mm. Um, the difference is really the, the initial path and the initial training that people take. Mm. Uh, I mean, you, you could think of it as a pyramid. You know, the higher you go, the less different they are uh, and, and the less you know about your style and the more you think it's different mm. yeah uh, I've, I've got to watch a high level karate grading and yes. uh, i was watching and i was like oh my god this is like northern kung fu you know because they're doing yes. spinning back kicks and stuff like that and whereas when yes. you look at basic basic karate when they first start it looks nothing like it you know so, no. so i definitely get what you mean yeah yeah, and uh, I think that's a misunderstanding, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't go deep enough to to think that way. Mm. Uh, and th- you know that I, I think what the world needs to know is that we're all related, uh, depending on how long back you look into history. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you talk about martial art, but in general, I think as humans, we're all related. How do you find um, the spirituality of of kung fu? Uh, against your, you know, the analytics of, of being a scientist? Because I know there's elements of, of Kung Fu like Qigong and, and, and inner power. How does that balance out with, with you being a scientist? Yeah, uh, that's, that's a good question. Um, um, I mean, similarly, in my younger days and in my earlier days of training, it would have been very hard to, to resolve those differences. But, I mean, science comes from the end of you know looking at things that's got to be proven and and proven by numbers mm-hmm. whereas you know you look at kung fu it's very vague a lot of time description description descriptively vague and sometimes very theology type description um but the the more i've done and gone deeper into doing both and and now you know being a profession in science as a scientist and now also being a teacher of Kung Fu, you can almost draw the similarity now. And, and basically you could say that we're doing the same thing, but just describing things differently. Uh, it's all, it all comes down to, 
the way we interpret and the, the way you describe and, and the way a person describes something and interprets something and then again brings it out and teach the student and how you teach the student. Like when I try and um, explain when we're doing qigong and I get the rush of qi from my head down when I breathe in and you know, I try and explain it to people and they're like, nah. No, no, I'm like it. Well, Qigong's an interesting thing. Um, there's, there's a lot of medical basis uh, that's involved with Qigong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you, if you take those into bits and, and see how exactly things are working, it can actually be explained through science. Oh, really? And vice versa. You know, what, okay. what, what you're experiencing in Qigong can be explained by science and, and vice versa. Uh, the, the way we describe things theologically you can also look at and how and see how science also describes a similarity. Mm. Now, for example, you you think of a, um, just a breathing breathing exercise, a deep breath, mm-hmm. breathing through your nose and you breathe out through your mouth. You do that once; it doesn't seem like a lot, but you feel the air going through your nose, going to your lung, and then coming back through the mouth. That warmth of the air is probably the most vague expression that you can have. But if you do that a few times, say 10 times, you start to feel warmth in your body. And, uh, you know, in Qigong you say, oh, I feel the energy and I'm getting, I'm feeling the heat and it's, it's resolved the qi and the energy traveling from this meridian to this meridian. But the, the end result, the path of going from there to, to the end is still initially your breath. And then ultimately, your respiration as a result of the energy. And so that, that is almost a scientific explanation. When you breathe in, in science, we talk about the oxygen going in, it goes through your cells, goes through a thing called mitochondria, which makes, makes use of the oxygen and, and changes from one chemical, changes of one chemical to another, causes electron transport, and that causes a, a certain chemical that's formed called ATP, which gets used up and that's for, that forms heat. Oh, that's okay. Science explanation of the same thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've done, I've done a form, form of, of Tai Chi where I actually feel like two, I'm pushing two opposing mag- magnets in the palm of my hands together. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you're pushing like that. You can feel the resistance. And, um, and Maria, my wife, when she concentrates, and puts her hands on me, her hands warm up. It's, it's, it's really, really mind blowing. But um, back to the Kung Fu, have you ever had to, uh, you ever had to use it to defend yourself? <laughs> uh, I have. <laughs> um, bad, bad thing to say, but I have. Um, and, and it's, it's probably not by accident either. It's, uh, back in uh, my early days in Perth, I actually worked for security. Mm-hmm. A crown, and uh, I mean, there, there were times, a lot of times, where that that came in handy. Uh, number one, and number two, I think uh, I, I, a lot of my, uh, how can I say, potential conflict actually just get dissolved by my understanding of kung fu. Mm. Uh, how do I mean by that? A lot of time, I know how far I can go with my kung fu but I hold back and not do anything because mm. <laughs> I know I can. Yeah. I'm the same. Like I think, like I used to, when I was in the army, James, like 
we would go out on the weekend and we would be in a blue like pretty much every weekend with Marines yeah. or, or whoever. But then when I started training, I would do everything I could not to fight. You know, I would talk my way out because I knew, you know, if this is going to go bad, I could, you know, hurt this person and I don't yes. want to get in that situation, you know. And it's, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of times that the, the situation comes up and that, that's what happens. So... You know, to answer the question directly, I, don't, I haven't had many incidents where I have to defend myself. That's good. Uh, the, the few that I have is mainly because I was working in security. Oh. <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, there was probably one that's a real emergency. I was in Malaysia and, and we were with the family. And uh, uh, one of the street guys came up wanting money and it was getting oh, aggressive. Like a, a gang member or something like that? Uh, I don't think he was gang. He was just an individual. Looks like he's poor, and but but he's probably used to street life and asking mm-hmm. people for money. People mm-hmm. don't like it. He frets. So um, he he was at the point where he he took out a knife. Oh shit! He wanted to come at me. Yeah. Or wanted to come at my family, but uh, at the same time he was already aggro beforehand. Uh. The whole family was in the car, and I I was the only one that kind of walked out. And was going to confront him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, but that that's as close as it came. Uh, at that time, one of the soldiers close by there was a there's a kind of like a soldier hut. Oh yeah. On the gate, uh, he he came with the gun and basically he yelled and he saw the gun and he just left. <laughs> but but I was already standing there, uh, you know, being young. Mm. I wouldn't think twice. I would just go and, and face it. And I find I find in situations like that that the the simplest technique is is usually the best. You know, I, I know a lot of people look at kung fu and they think it's very a very complicated art. Um, and I, I try and explain to my, people myself: there's there's wushu and then there's kung fu. And um, I find when I do sparring, just the simplest technique is always the best to use. Yeah, I mean, I think. Depends on how much you you learn and how much you're confident with. Mm. Most techniques can be quite simple. Uh, to me, it's more about confidence. Um, if you've you've got the confidence, uh, then you have a calm mind, and that's the main thing: having a calm mind in control of yourself. Then uh, anything that comes is simple. <laughs> yeah. Every time when I first started sparring, I would get hit and I would get angry. And then yeah. I would, and then you, <laughs> I would just get then walloped because I just didn't have a have a calm head, you know. Yeah, I think that calmness also stops you from getting into fights and talking your way out, you know. Because yes. yes, I mean, really, what reason is there to fight, you know? Only unless your emotions are are, are peaking right out. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't look at a situation as a way to fight anymore. Mm. Uh, I look at a situation as a situation that, you know, the best outcome is to be able to control it. Mm. Um, be it not fighting, be it not, not having contact, or if it's contact. Uh, but being able to control a situation is the key. And uh, how have you found your students changing for the last, over the last 10, 15 years while you've been teaching? <laughs> well, that's a hard one. Uh, not many students stay 10 or 15 years. 
students come and go all the time. Uh, and if I really have to keep count, I think there must have been at least close to a thousand now that I've had turnover. Oh. <laughs> uh, if you ask my Sibu there, he, he would say I've had a couple of hundred thousand over the years. But uh, I, I've had at least a thousand, or close to, if not at least a thousand student turnover. Uh, I've probably only had one that stayed very long and he became a disciple yeah. of my Sifu now. Uh, and then I had another couple that stayed the next longest and that's probably about, well, actually there's, there's two that's actually at 15 years mark now. Wow. Been with me for 15 years. And at, at what point, at what point do they start becoming teachers? Uh, they start becoming recognized. They start as people seafood. becoming. Well, um, they only just be promoted as seafood by me. Yeah. Uh, and having having my seafood looked at them. Okay. Uh, you know, that, and that's after fifteen years. Um, yeah. But I I usually let people get involved in teaching uh, quite early in the phase because part of learning is to be able to teach. And part of teaching helps you learn. Um, so I probably after two years, if I, yeah. if I feel that the person is good enough with what they're doing and learning, then I usually get them to start helping in terms of instructing. Yeah, that's good. Because then uh, you start, they start getting leadership skills as well, you know. And I think... That's I think- one thing. I think there's so many, you get so many good things out of martial arts, no matter what style you do in general, I think you, you get like discipline and, and, and leadership skills and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. I think it doesn't matter which style of martial art. Uh, I think if you've got a good teacher, you will, you will learn leadership and you'll learn to be a good adult. Mm-hmm. I would say mm-hmm. so you're a teenager or, or anybody. Um, you, you definitely learn a lot of life skills. Um, from being able to, well, from practicing martial art. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of the uh, theory in martial art, I think, is a microcosm to real life. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you can apply, I mean, you can ap- apply, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like getting ready to punch and punching somebody. If you're going to punch one, somebody, you punch, yeah. but you don't hold back. Mm. <laughs> so it's kind of a little bit... Uh, if you make that analogy to life, life itself, a lot of things you do, if you're going to hesitate, you're going to miss the opportunity. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do it, then you do it with your heart, full heart. 100%. Similar to how you do a punch. <laughs> so that's, that's a way how things can be transferred in terms of uh, uh, what you do in martial art and transfer to life yeah. skill. I've been reading uh, some books on, on ego and, and, and such at the moment. And, um, I know I found out when I was training there was always a little bit of ego involved, um, and I, my my uncle who I was very close with um, was the head Shotokan karate guy in, in in Australia before he passed away unfortunately, and he would tell me stories of other martial arts schools walking into his class and challenging him to a fight. Now, now be it he started training in the seventies. Did you see any of of that kind of stuff happening? Uh, <laughs> in the really early days, uh, back when I was in Sydney, that, that, ha- that still happened. Not, I wouldn't say quite a lot. 
rarely, but it still happens. Uh, since I've come to Perth, I haven't never seen that happen. Ah, that's because we're all laid back. <laughs> that's number one. I think number one reason is I think society have changed. Uh, number two reason is uh, the way martial arts schools are run is have changed as well. Uh, we're, we're no longer warmongering kind of a society. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. most of us are more educated nowadays. Yeah. Uh, but also, I think martial arts, like my one, we, we don't have a permanent place or we haven't had a permanent place for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the moment, we're just rent halls. And so we're not very showy in that sense, uh, number one. Mm-hmm. And I would say even if I'm showing you, it's because Perth is so big and wide uh, and, and we, we're not the type of people that's just advertise ourselves. It was very hard uh, to find you, James. Kind of trouble anyway. It not, was very hard to cocky. find your school. <laughs> we're not cocky. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, I mean, it, you you... You talk about karma. I think it's karma. So you know, if you if you are cocky, then you're asking for it, and that mm. will come to you. Mm. Uh, but we're not. I mean, I I teach martial art because I enjoy doing martial art. Number one, I love what martial art has brought to me, and so I like to help other people with using the martial art that I learn. Because the, uh, um, if for our listeners out there, I, I trained for a long time in a style called Chole Fat Bak Singh, which is, uh, I guess, a sister style to, to your style, James? W- would it be a sister style or further uh, down, I, like I, a I grand, grandchild? <laughs> I say it's the same style. It came from the same family. Let's, let's put it that way. It came from the same family tree. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, again, I, I wouldn't say it's any, anything too different. Um, if I really have to say this different, it's kind of like saying, well, you know, one of my Kung Fu brothers that learned the same Kung Fu with me from, from the same master for so many years. Mm-hmm. The way he teaches is different to the way I teach and we end up focusing different things. So yeah. you could think of it almost that way. Um, I, I, for many years, avoided calling myself Bak Sing, Hong Sing, or the other one, which is mm-hmm. Chan Sing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Chan family, which which I am part of, mm-hmm. but I never call myself that. Uh, yeah, it just uh, causes call, uh, causes a lot of division. I think, you know, that whole my kung fu style is better than your kung fu style when it's not really about uh, that at all. No, uh, the very the very nature of just naming it with that extra name causes division mm. and, and tells people that I'm better. But and I, I don't want that. Uh, we, we're all part of the same family and ultimately, you know, other schools such as Zhao Ga that's here, I still call them brothers mm-hmm. uh, because we go back further in history, we actually came from the same family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shaolin. Yeah? yeah, that's right. Yeah. You go further back then Shaolin was never called Shaolin, it was called the Buddha style, which is Fat Ga. Yeah. Yeah. So... And, so, and I think it originally uh, yeah. came from India, didn't it? I think that's the origin. Um, uh, Some of the knowledge, a, main, a big chunk of the knowledge came from India, from yeah. Dartmoor. Yeah. That would, would have been 1,500 years ago, approximately. Because he saw the monks were getting fat, and I think he gave them some breathing exercises. That's, that's what we got what told, that, and that was the start. 
Well, uh, we, well, you and I were ne- never there back in that time. So we were <laughs> I never look like I was there, James. You don't. You look. You look. You don't age. Oh, I, I am a little bit older. Um, a no, little bit. Um, uh, we 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 take in history with a grain of salt. Of course, uh, yeah, with everything. None of us was there, uh, but I think there's a, many versions to the story now. Some people say the monk was uh, meditating for a long time, and um, Dartmoor saw them, and and they saw that he, they were failing, getting frail and weak, and so he taught them something which is an internal system, which allowed them to keep themselves fit and healthy while they're meditating through. Uh, long periods of time. Uh, I, I think that's the main story, but there, there was a lot of other story. Oh yeah, um, yeah. But um, in, interesting, some of these um, history. Uh, if you research into it, uh, I was, talk, I was talking to someone the other day about a, 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 a chigong they got taught, and they told me that it was a closed door style. Have you ever heard that expression <laughs> before? <laughs> Yeah, um, closed door style, um, secret style. Um, okay, so is that some magical style? <laughs> is that I, I thought it meant that it was just from father to son. Um, it, it's a it's a hard explanation why people describe it that way. Um, for a long period, a lot of things were passed down from father to son, mm-hmm. or from, from uncle to to of course, nephew. Yeah. Uh, or through relatives, mm-hmm. uh, because that was the times. Um, especially in China, you talk about back in the early 1900s to 50s, 1950s, when communism started. Um, mm-hmm. That period, when communism started, they, they decided, they call it cultural revolution, they decided that they want to discard all the old culture, and some part of that is martial art. Oh, did they, they ban it? Get, was that? Did they ban it? Yeah, they banned it because oh, really? um, throughout history, martial artists were the people that were quite strong and resist the governments. Oh, wow. Uh, but, but, I mean, there's a lot, lot more to that, of course. Martial artists uh, throughout history stand for uh, people that stand up for justice, and, and uh, especially because back in those days, there's a lot of commoners uh, that, you know, they're just farming communities and... Uh, governments used to be always corrupt. Uh, there used to be a lot of war happening. People, government used to be corrupt. And so nobody stand, stood up for these common people. And so martial artists were naturally the people that, you know, because they had the skills, they have the, the, the way to, to be able to resist these people. So they stood up for these commoners. And so that, that uh, over the years, became a thing called Mouta, which most martial arts schools teach. Which is a set of uh, kind of like a, a code, code of conduct, of con- yeah, code of conduct, yeah. And uh, part of that is uh, to stand to stand up for the poor and the weak. Mm. One of the mm. rules were stand up for the poor and the weak. Yeah. So, uh, how do we get to this? What was the question initially? <laughs> I think we we lost the question now. This happens <laughs> a lot, James. We'll end up talking <laughs> off into it because there's a lot of. There's just a lot of information and history. Oh yeah, it's when you when you get when you get to, able to put it into one sentence. Yeah, well, I've seen um, I've seen my I've seen Blake who who was teaching me with his disciples going through all the history and where everything 
came from and it's uh yeah it's it's amazing the history but like you said i think that those those values that that come in are are from from any any martial art i, I think my uncle used to talk about that karate came from okinawa and it was developed to fight the chinese invaders <laughs> that well, that was one story and depending on what what time in history oh uh, yeah well, this was when he was doing two particular techniques he was showing me. One, he was doing a jumping, spinning back kick, which was to knock um, a horseman off. And another one where he would do like a straight movement like this into uh, a barrel of sand, and that was to go straight through um, bamboo armour. Yeah. And that's I mean, what he was talking that that's what for at that time, you know. Yes. But then he also said uh, to say uh, that the translation of karate or karate means Chinese hands. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I, I don't know that history. I don't know their history. But, uh, you know, I can say there, there's definitely a link between all, all Asian martial art. Um, and the simplest way to look is how they greet. I mean, it doesn't matter what school you go to, what style you go to, Japanese or Chinese. How do they greet? Well, with a bow. Usually greet with a fist and a hand. Mm. And so most styles greet with a, with a fist and a hand. You've got to wonder why. Yeah. Even uh, us is this. Mm. Uh, karate, some of the karate are like this. Some yeah. of the karate are like this. Uh, some Chinese style is like this. Yeah. But it's always a fist and a hand. So, you know, I, this session is probably too short for, for me to explain that link. But I'm telling you, everyone is related. Mm -hmm. And I'm quite sure of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like I was saying, when you look at it at a high level, all the techniques yeah. and, and stuff is, is all the same. Uh, are, your, uh, are your kids training under you? <laughs> Uh, my two older one did for some time, uh, and then because they're they're older now and they're teenager, oh, they're uh, and you, there's there's too much other activities. <laughs> uh, my daughter still uh, comes in and out sometimes to do a bit of qigong. Yeah. Um, the younger one, I've just started them with our children's class. Um, it's really hard for me to teach directly, so I. I I flick them, flick them over to some of my instructors <laughs> for the moment, just to keep their interest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange thing, you know. Oh, my son. Oh. Well, my son at the moment likes to wrestle. So we've got him going to, because uh, he's only four, uh, to a class. It's supposed to be like a, little ninjas Brazilian jiu-jitsu class but they just do some tumbling and some somersaults and, and stuff on the ground because I have got strict instructions from my wife that when he can hold concentration he will be being trained in kung fu <laughs> so there'll be no MMA or UFC or any of that will be and knowing my wife she'll probably want him upstairs holding buckets of water and and doing stands <laughs> over a candle and stuff well thanks so much james for coming on the show um 
obviously no, there's so you. much to talk about and uh, we will definitely get you back on if you've got time. Um, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, if they have any more questions or, or want to look at your school, um, where can they find that out? Uh, my number's on my website, uh, which is www.choilefawa.com. So choilefawa is C-H-O-Y-L-E-E-F-U-T-W-A, mm-hmm. all in one word, and then .com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, give me a call, leave a message. If I don't pick up your call, or give me an email. Yep. Send me an email. Yep. Uh, I'm and, happy and to have I'll, a coffee and have a chat. <laughs> and I'll put that in the show links as well, because to train with James it is an interview process. It's not just like an ordinary school. He just doesn't <laughs> take anyone. So for anyone interested, that'll be in the show notes. Um, thanks again, James, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Jeremy. Yeah, talk to you again soon. Bye. Thank you.